Hey guys, I'm Iski. And I'm Christina. And we're the Tango Durians. We will first mention some statistics and facts in an unbiased and dispassionate member manner. Sorry, uh, today's subject is a little serious and sensitive, so please do not take this to mean anything about our political views. We merely state facts in a timeline which affected our country. So before the 26th of September 2020, uh, Malaysia is actually recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, total active cases prior to this uh, were numbering actually below 100, so around uh, 80 and even less than that for active cases. Um, and we were at that point getting back to normal. Uh, business were starting to recover and people were kind of back in action and starting to work again. So on the 30th of July 2020, the State Assembly of the second biggest state in Malaysia, Sabah, was dissolved so that elections could be held. After campaigning has started, active numbers started climbing. Post-election, Sabah was hit with the highest number of active cases, and some of the returning voters and assembly people contracted the disease, and lockdown was re-implemented in the country's capital, Kuala Lumpur, and the surrounding economic areas where we live. Mm, so right now, we're in the, still in the middle of... Uh... You know, some of the biggest cases and numbers we've seen so far. Um, our latest daily count, which was, I believe, yesterday, um, was over 1,000. So it's 1,228, and of which the majority of 889 were actually coming from Sabah. So <laughs> Take those facts and make of them what you will. All right. So uh, we are currently experiencing another lockdown. Christina, um, tell me, are you doing okay? I'm doing okay. I am back to work from home mode for a while more, I believe. Um, and I haven't really gone beyond the radius of 5km from my house at this point. Um, and how about yourself? Oh, same here. Um, I'm in work from home mode. Uh, the school just had its uh, first virtual open day. So, oh, uh, nice. okay. yeah, so open days and it's just like an idea that it was a throwaway idea that I had which the school took seriously and I, w I had to be put in charge of it. So it, it was a lot of stress. Um, but like uh, because sure of that, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we did well. But um, because of that, I had to, I had to go back to school instead of working from home. So I had right. to teach from school, even though my, uh, my students are at home. So just using the school's Wi-Fi and then like, you know, doing a lot of meetings and rehearsals for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, fun fact, um, uh, I think last uh, last Wednesday, yeah. I got stopped by the cops for driving out. And uh, I luckily, I have this like letter from day. school, which says that I am an employee of said school. Uh, mm -hmm. And it saved me from a thousand ringgit fine. So uh, for those of you who oh. are uh, using the American uh, numerical system, that is around about uh, three to four hundred dollars, I think. Uh, yeah, a bit less than three hundred. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, lucky, lucky for that. Um, so uh, any stories from your side about you know run-ins with the police and whatnot? 
so far not yet. Um, yeah, so far, as I said, I haven't really been venturing out. Uh, things are still within, you know, two or three km from my house, so I haven't actually bothered to go anywhere besides the areas around here. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, some of our some of our friends who uh, have uh, dance studios and um, uh, you know um, who are uh, reopening up their their lessons even with the SOPs. I don't know how their students are gonna, you know, be mm. able to, you know, reach their their premises. So, um, you know, well, guys, hang in there, hang in there, guys. So, Iski, why are we talking about this today? Okay, so um, I'm not saying anything. We're just gonna jump straight into the topic. Not that anything that we said before has anything to do with what we're gonna say. Okay, so uh, politics, right? It's been at the heart of every country. And it's also affected arts and culture, and oftentimes it's being used as a tool to show whatever it is that needs to be shown at that particular time. You know, in Russia, right, ballet was used to show to the people that they too can be like the proletariat. Che Guevara, you know, an Argentinian, became a global symbol of cool due to his sketched depictions um, as what was known before this was the terrorist insurgency in Cuba. Mm. And that... Our tango is no different. So, um, yeah. Okay. What are we going to talk about now? So, uh, Iski's very kindly put together a very factual um, piece, which actually I was unaware of. Um, I think I've heard a little bit around military dictatorship, how tango kind of disappeared and went underground for, you know, close to two or three decades. So, we are going to go through a bit of a fact um, around facts around how tango is impacted by different periods. And... Um, how it has waxed and waned uh, because of it. And our sources here do come from Wikipedia, Todo Tango, and an article written by Mariana Zapata and published by Atlas Obscura. Uh, and it's called Rock and Roll and Military Dictatorships Almost Destroyed Argentine Tango. Whoa. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think what's interesting as well is that we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, and this actually is the biggest threat, I think, to tango. Um, and it's a global thing, right? So this is... I mean, as, as not even tango, anything really, take any topic, take any sector, and it's going to be, you know, the arts is obviously deeply impacted by it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It is so, you know, um, it, it's, it's really, I mean, like, it goes hand in hand because, uh, yes, our everything is being impacted by, uh, by the pandemic. And, um, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, the thing is, like, uh, blame whoever you want and all that. But um, a lot of times, we see in the headlines how X and X president or prime minister is handling the pandemic. You know how this guy mm-hmm. or that guy, and how every everything is uh, going well or not going well, depending on who's leading the country. So sure. um, I I think th- this is a very relevant thing to be uh, mentioned uh, right now in our podcast. Um, so yeah, because tango as well, it was hugely wrapped in in, in politics, um, mm-hmm. and we're gonna dive into a little bit of that. So um, you know, I'm just gonna start. So in the beginning, all right, when tango was young, already there was a lot between politics and tango. You know, um, and uh, one of the most pleasant songs of tango uh, was written for and named after a pretty radical political party, uh, and it's called Unión Cívica. Right, mm. the civic union. 
So okay. the party split because the two leaders, um, Leonardo Alem and uh, Bartolome Mitre, they couldn't agree. So, uh, you know, they split. So one became the radical civic union and the other the national civic union. So um, Union Civica Radical and uh, Union Civica uh, Nacional. So, okay. and, you know, as if art couldn't imitate life anymore. Another song with the same name was written as well um, by Pedro Sofia, but we couldn't find a version of that song. Um, so now we're going to play a little bit of the famous one by Domingo Santa Cruz, recorded by Juan D'Arienzo. Um, and this is like early D'Arienzo, like around about the 20s. Okay. Um, so here it is. <laughs> The song okay I was wondering that's what song. song all right it's so yeah chill. that's the song that's the thing though how could that happy happy sounding song be about politics yeah exactly it sounds like a you know walk in the park <laughs> exactly yeah I know right like and I was so surprised because you know I I thought Union Civica like means like uh like a gay wedding or something, <laughs> to be honest, really. Oh my God, okay. <laughs> I, Civic right. Union, you know, like, yeah I, yeah, I thought it was about a gay wedding. So, oh gosh. Yeah. So, um, so your thoughts, like how, what, what do you think? Like, how could that be connected to what was a really radical, um, you know, piece of politics from eight, this is the 1890s, yeah? Like, um, does it, like does it have, does it have lyrics? Uh, no, does no, no, it, no. It, it, it's it was, oh, it's just music. It's just music. Oh, okay. Hmm. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know what the guy was thinking. He, uh, and he, yeah. uh, <laughs> I can't yeah. see the link. Exactly. I I don't know. And uh, yeah, it's very um, and uh, I I got that little little bit of fact from Tolo Tango, and I I was right. so surprised. So okay, so yeah, that that thing. Sometimes there's just no connection whatsoever. Whatsoever. <laughs> with the melody and you know with the subject of uh, any tango actually but um anyway as mentioned you know tango was first in um argentina's cultural zeitgeist in the 1890s when that song was written but its first peak came in the 1920s yeah um and that's when uh you know everybody received like um grants and rca mm. came in uh, to uh uh, to record in Argentina, um, RCA being like uh, the recording company, something. It's it's a U.S. company. They made um, they made uh, what do you call those cylinders, song cylinders, the really old version of uh, of CDs or oh, okay. MP3s to all of you millennials. <laughs> but this would also um, I mean it's a hundred years back, right? So this will also coincide with the time of Gardel and the silent era movies and the black and white. And that's where like. Mm. Tango started taking a form on, right? In the popular culture, at least. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, huge part of that zeitgeist. Now, um, in Argentina, um, the onset of the Great Depression in 1929, and, uh, you know, um, when Hippolito Rigoyen's government um, 
you know, fell in 1930, uh, there were a lot of restrictions and that caused Tango to experience its first decline, as we've discussed before. Um, but then, two disparate but hugely impactful things arrived. There were a series of military dictatorships and rock and roll. Yeah, boy. So, um, uh, in any other respect, you cannot mix this together. But they um, inadvertently collaborated in uh, dethroning tango in Argentina and driving it to near oblivion. I, I remember hearing. I remember hearing something. On. Uh, Why don't you take this one? No, I remember hearing just a bit on talking about that. But I remember hearing a little bit around how rock and roll was actually something. I mean, in the US, it's actually quite frowned upon, right? Uh, when, when you know, Elvis comes on the scene in the 50s and it becomes a genre that's like, you know, for the young, for the cool, and our yeah. parents are like, you can't do this. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And it was but the I other way around. It was yeah. the other way around. But uh, right. but we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But uh, let's, let's talk about uh, this, the 20th century in Argentina, though. Sure. So a bit of politic facts here is um, so 20th century in Argentina was marked by um, political, social and economic unrest. So between 1930 and 1983, there were six coup d'etat by the military. Well, Thailand still got more. So (laughs) (laughs) in between these were the authoritarian presidencies of Juan Domingo Perón. Uh, you know, of course, the husband of Evita Perón, um, who was a former military general, participated in the coup of 1943 and ruled as its populist president from 1946 to 1955. So he, of course, was seen as a protector of the working classes and the national identity of Argentinians. And this was very similar to what um, Tango represented as well. And hence, under him, the genre enjoyed a prosperous golden age. Okay, well, so, okay. Yeah, let's let's riff upon that as well. So, like, yeah. um, there's that mention of tango being a working mm. class dance, and as well, mm. like, a nationalist, um, mm. kind of uh, symbol. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, looking at it um, now, I mean, before pandemic or happened, um, we can see more and more of, I mean, less of the working men represented in in tango and more of the elite. Yet again, so I, I, I have this uh, image of tango waxing and waning also because this happened mm. in the nineteen uh, in the early 1900s, 1910s, when, you know, tango went from Argentina to Paris and then like the Europeans loved it, but it was frowned yep. upon in Argentina. So, yep. And there's this like very similar kind of um, uh, waxing and waning going on right now even. But don't you find it's, I mean, I, I think it's not so much that Argentina doesn't still have the dance around, right? It's just the fact that economically they're not doing very well and this chases a lot of the business of the dance overseas, right? Into, let's say, Europe or Istanbul or even Asia now, right? That's Asia, the last yeah. decade. It's definitely Asia. Yeah, I mean, China China has uh, been a huge market. Um, yeah. In fact, yeah. In in fact, now Ali is uh, is taking uh, lessons uh, organized by a, a Chinese lady who's living in Argentina. Right. Um, shout out to uh, Lan Wang, um, and uh, and there are and it's it's very active. Like a lot of people are learning online. And um, the mm. thing about the pandemic is that yes, like if you don't have a partner near you, it's very hard to practice. But um, that being said. Uh, in China, um, just mm. in 
in the previous session that I uh, that I saw, uh, there were a lot of um, people, uh, studios in China who kind of take it as a set, like take those um, classes as a right. set, and they just like practice together. Um, of course, with SOPs, you could see masks everywhere. Mm. So, um, so yeah, it is uh, it is very very interesting how. Um, how like the waxing and waning and the locations of this wax and wane really uh, comes about. And um, of course, you have maestros um, making a life in the US, in yeah. Japan, in, um, uh, in Spain. Germany. Like this, uh, Roberto Herrera yeah. is living in Germany now. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very... Um, I, I mean, I feel like it's very representative of what happened before. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's continue on. Now, his censorship of the uh, Perón's censorship of the opposition and his rather authoritarian rule kind of gave rise to uh, another revolution, why the F, guys, called <laughs> the Liberating Revolution, all right, uh, in 1955 which overthrew him and again placed in power. Drum roll, please. What is that, Christina? What? A military regime? <laughs> a military regime. Yeah. Okay, so, and then another coup would follow in 1962 and another one in 1966. Get your shit together, Argentina. And uh, the 66 one, all right, the Argentine Revolution would also be a dictatorship, all right? Now, um, the... Peron ruled again as president from 73 until his death in 74. And his vice president, okay, Isabel Martinez de Peron, was also his wife. Now, this was after Evita died of, um, I think it was cancer. Um, so Evita actually died pretty young, uh, as, um, uh, as shown in the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Um, you know, she, uh, she died uh, from cancer, I believe, at 30-something. Um, she was a beloved uh, first lady, but yeah. Um, hmm. So he remarried to uh, Isabel Martinez, and um, she became the president after his death, and everybody thought it was nepotism. So, of course, it would be overthrown again by another regime called the National Reorganization Process, which is actually the most brutal one. All hmm. right. Uh, why don't you take this one? Oh, okay. Um so with the, both the Argentine Revolution and the national reorganization process, um, they look to squash the devotees of Peron's legacy or Peronismos, uh, which had both strong right-wing and left-wing factions. And many, as a result, many Peronistas, including some of the Tango's the prominent figures, were actually exiled, threatened, or simply disappeared. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, sorry, I, I just need to uh, riff on that also. Um, sure. Yeah, there, there have been the, these like um, stories where uh, Pugliese, like he was a mm. huge, um, I mean, he had very strong political views, but I, I mm. have to uh, go back to what his views were. But um, let's just say he was jailed a lot. And the only reason that he wasn't disappeared was mm. you know the des desaparecidos all right <laughs> it was because he was so famous that right. if he disappeared there will be a riot there would be a riot yeah um so that's why you'd have uh, these stories where when he's in jail um his mm. bandmates would uh, put a rose on his mm -hmm. piano so that um you know to, oh. to signify that he's still there even though he's you know in jail 
uh, eating the wonderful food. Oh, okay. So he was uh, actually a communist. <laughs> I'm just googling it right now. Oh, he was a communist. Okay, so very, a communist, strong, is, very yeah. strong political views, and he got jailed for it. But uh, you know, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, all right. So um, yeah, uh, that, 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 that. okay. So now there's also this question of censorship, right? Um, because uh, you know what, like it or not, censorship is political. All right. So mm-hmm. when tango first emerged in the twenties, right, the church banned it because. The music was um, of the lower or immoral factions of society, working class people. All right. Then it was no longer banned in when the coup of 1930 occurred. But still, lyrics that supported populist ideas and used Don Fardo, which is the slang of the working class, was banned. All right. And even Peron, all right, like being the nationalist guy he is, even he banned songs like Cambalache because um, it's too pessimistic. Um, now, do you remember uh, this song? El mundo fue y será una porquería ya lo sé. En el 510 y en el 2000 también que siempre ha habido chorros, maquiavelos y estafados, contentos y amargados, valores y dobles. Pero que el siglo XX es un despliegue de maldad insolente ya no hay quien lo niegue. Alright, oh, so, you know, you know, it's key. Like I cannot read lyrics anymore. Cause like when I dance in the milonga and I and I and I dance songs, I have like close to no context besides the melody of how it feels. So yeah. when you give me a song like this, I'm like, oh, <laughs> sounds sounds like he's uh, walking the park again. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, um, well, and then I read the lyrics. I'm like, what the heck. Yeah, well, actually, there's a video online um, of Julio Sosa. I, I would have played uh, that, that video, but it was um, the audio quality was a little bit bad. Um, but yeah, it's, it's basically like him at a bar, and then the bartender's like, hey, uh, Senor, Senor Sosa, you okay? Hey, Julio, you okay? And then hmm. um, he's then he he's like, oh, I'm not okay. Then then the, the bartender's like, oh, yeah, tell me about it. What's up? And then like the song starts, and it's all happy. And then he was like, and then like that just means the world that was and always will be crap i already know it <laughs> all, right. All, right. all right and Love um it. yeah i like and then, the song uh, even more now <laughs> yeah like, yeah i mean like that that is 2020 for you the world was and always will be crap you know, we already know Uh, and then uh, it continues in the 510 and in 2002. Okay, I have no context in this, all right? En el 510 y en el 2000 también. I don't have any um, context for that. So I'm going to look it up, what what this means. But um, my, my research thought, didn't find anything out. So um, like then continuing years. on. Que siempre ha habido chorros, which means, uh, Christina, why don't you take this one? Because it's funny. Um, that there have always been jets, jets meaning spouting shit. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, chorros, chorros apparently in, in uh, Argentinian slang means like you're uh, spouting. Uh, the word chorro means to spout uh, uh, or okay. jet, okay? Uh, but, you know, in this case, like it's diarrhea, like verbal diarrhea, spouting shit. Okay, and the next one. Machiavellos y estofaos. What does that mean? 
Machiavellians, Machiavellians. Oh God, don't can't pronounce this. Machiavellians <laughs> and scams. All right. Uh, so this is sounding more and more like 2020. <laughs> so <laughs> especially in Malaysia, so much Machiavellian, so much scam. All right. Oh boy. And then the rest is like, um, yeah, happy and bitter, contentos y amargaos, uh, valores y doble, values that I doubled, um, uh, pero que el siglo viente, but that the 20th century, and then it continues on to another lyric, which is very pessimistic as well. All right, mm. so, um, so yeah, there's a lot of censorship in, in, um, in, in tango, but you know what? I, I think this is just like really angry writers like trying to vent how inefficient everything is, you know? Like I feel these guys now, you know what I'm saying? So did they did they actually like ban the song or like ban it from being played on the radio? Uh, at, at one point at one point Kambalachi was like ban ban um oh. uh, from the radio. Uh so yeah, it was um yeah, it was like super banned. Like you can't get a pressing. Well, back in those days, it was pressings because uh, vinyl, right? So, so yeah, like uh, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of people were forbidden from recording it. So it's like a whole mm-hmm. thing. Wow. Mm. Okay. So, so anyway, so I- let's um, <laughs> let's go to the coup of 1955. All right. So um, uh, Christina, I'll take this one, and you'll take the point sure, about. Ahead. Uh, the uh, Christine Dennison's book, okay? Sure, sure. Alright, so, after the coup of 1955, the military regimes continued the censorship even more harshly. The lyrics are heavily controlled and many of its figures in exile or hiding, again, tango began to wane, but at the same time, there's a shift in social mentality, alright? Uh, Marcelo Solis, uh, an Argentine tango uh, teacher in uh, the Escuela de Tango de Buenos Aires, He's lived through the last two regimes that, and he explained that, you know, in the mind of the military, if Argentina was a mess, it was because its culture was a mess. So if you wanted to be more prosperous, you should look at the foreign countries and try to imitate them. Uh, so, you know, the imitation is this. They introduced rock and roll, all right? But also Argentina started producing... Um, uh, they became an automotive hub uh, competing alongside Brazil and Mexico, all right? Mm. Um, and I believe they uh, they produced Mercedes, Audi, and um, Volkswagen, I think, um, you know, parts and whatnot. Um, but that being said, said, they were still, you know, pretty corrupt um, because, you know, they introduced rock and roll, right? But the military often turned a blind eye to minors being out after curfew doing rock concerts. But, you know, the rules were very strict for milongas, you know, and according to Solis, um, this, like most things, had to do with money. So, yeah, uh, rock venues, they've always made more profit than tango venues and could thus afford to bribe the government officials. And he remembers that some of his friends, uh, this guy Solis, worked in these venues and he said that the bribe was often included in the event's budget and you know what milongas could rarely do the same like that how many big milongas even now could afford to like you know um go through the proper um hoops in order to get something done um yeah christina why don't you take this one so in uh christine Den- deniston's book the meaning of tango 
Uh, it says, so where before the coup, the best way for a young man to meet a young woman was in the Milonga. Suddenly, it was much easier to meet a girl by dancing rock and roll. So overnight, young men stopped learning how to dance tango. Man, that sucks. <laughs> so, there's no reason to spend three years learning how to dance tango when the girl you liked was in the rock and roll club instead. So those that were 18 in 1955 learned to dance a tango well with competence, and those that were 13 didn't learn it at all. Yeah, I know, right, guys? Like, seriously, <laughs> this happens around the world, right? Where milongas would always have to change venues. And I know because I've organized milongas before. And, like, we've always had to change venues because of cost. And, you know, and because, like, the venue can't see a reason to open for people who stay so late but just buy a bottle of water. So, guys, support your local milongas bars. For God's sake. <laughs> All right. What, what, okay. Uh, Christina, you've also uh, organized the Milonga. Do you have any issues with your venues about this? Um, not so much because we normally did the Wednesday ones in a, in a hotel. So the bar as such actually quite liked it because we brought a little bit more flair, I think. Rather, it'll be a quiet lounge bar if, it, if, you know, if there wasn't any tango. So... You know, uh, you know, we we've been there for three, four years at this point. We haven't gone back since March, um, at this point. Um, so we'll see what happens. You know, within the next year, um, everything's kind of really disrupted at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's see. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Okay. So um, yeah. All right. So that being said, right. Um, continuing on with the, the script. Okay. So the relationship between the regimes, tango and rock and roll. You know, it wasn't actually so clear cut because, for instance, uh, there were like stuff like Astor Piazzolla, all right, one of Tango's most prominent figures. He actually traveled to Europe with his orchestra and was paid by the 76th regime to tell the world that, you know what, you know, Argentina's all good, you know, but I think given the violence of the regime, and according to the article as well, uh, I think they were threatened into it. I don't know. <laughs> Allegedly, they were. Okay. Um, and uh, also, uh, tang some Tangueros also supported the regimes and uh, wrote songs for them. And several of them, including Piazzolla, sang in honor of Alfredo Astiz, a military quote unquote hero who was involved in the kidnapping, torture, and disappearance of members of the Madres de Plaza de Mayo, who was an activist group formed by the mothers who demanded information on their mm -hmm. disappeared children. And now, guys, um, these women still march in the Plaza de Mayo now. Um, it's like a, a candlelit vigil with um, women in black, and it's uh, at times creepy and sad. So, um, yeah. Uh, but it's been like 30 years, I think. Yeah, this four, no, even longer, right? It's been three, 40 or 50 years already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but even me? now, even now, there. My internet, my internet's a bit off. Ah, okay, yeah. Even now, but anyway, um, why don't you take uh, this next one, man? Sure. Um. So, you know, as history goes, uh, things always come back. So, actually, the military regimes and rock um help did help set the stage for tango's comeback. And as Solis explains, in exile, Argentinians started to come to the genre as a way to connect with their lost nation. Um, and bringing it to Europe and North America, where uh, many of them were actually staying in. Um, and Hector 
Orizoli, who is the co-producer of the 1985 Broadway sensation Tango Argentino, explained to the New York Times that Argentinians wanted to be European. So they thought of uh, tango as tacky, but actual Europeans couldn't get enough of it. So this actually made tango favorable in the eyes of Argentinians again. So, you know, talk about history, replacing, uh, you know, re so rewinding upon itself. This exactly is what happened in the early 1900s, which is the, you know, the rise of the tango as a, as a, as a core genre, right? Which I think we are still drawing from even up to now uh, with the music of the golden era and you know sort of keeping that that alive right with the younger generation as well um so yeah national rock once seen as the replacement of tango began mentioning tango in a positive light uh charlie garcia and pedro arsnar two of the icons of argentine rock named their first collaborative album uh which was also released in 1985 uh, it was called tango um, so, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, let's uh, continuing on. So, when democracy was again reintroduced, reinstituted in uh, 1983, tango was ready to follow suit. Then, so it took time, but because of its popularity outside of Argentina and like the mysticism that surrounded it, for being connected to the time before the dictatorships, tango once again rose to the top, and today. Today, it is the fastest growing dance in the world and has been declared by UNESCO as intangible cultural heritage. Go Tango. All right. And in fact, uh, the new, uh, this article was written in 2016. The new fastest growing dance in the world, which is Kitsomba, um, had to borrow a lot of stuff from Argentine Tango as well. Um, so thank you very much to Kitsomba for... Uh, uh, co-opting our dance and uh, you know uh, growing as fast as we did back in the day okay so uh, that was a heavy lot of material heavy lot of material mm, um, yeah yeah so wow okay I can't believe we got through it <laughs> in, <laughs> in in the pretty much the the amount of time that uh, we usually do so um, yeah yeah uh, it was heavy. Know, pa pa passing thoughts. Passing thoughts. Iski, what's your first? What's your impression of how Tango is gonna look like in the next twenty or thirty years? Uh, including pandemic or no? Yeah, well, more like we have a choice. <laughs> okay, so, all right, twenty or thirty years. I imagine. Um, I imagine you know, humanity getting a certain amount of herd immunity towards um uh covid so it's gonna go the way of uh the way of the common cold i suppose um before the i mean like after the advent of penicillin um and we'll 20 or 30 years because you said 20 or 30 years so we will um pretty much be back to normal um dancing laughing living life um but that being said uh i do believe that um, we do have to, we do have to kind of stick through um, whatever it is we're going through now, um, so that you know when mm -hmm. we come out, uh, we can come out strong. Um, and uh, I, I'd hate to say this, um, but China has been a pretty uh, a pretty good example of how to do things. Because I'm not saying politically, I'm just saying like how. Um, their SOPs and how their uh, not reliance, how their 
what's the word? How they're adapting to life with SOPs, and they're they're really really strict on it, um, to the point where they could uh, do a tango festival. Yes, everybody's in masks, but <laughs> they're dancing the dance. Yeah. You know, yeah. there there no there's no such thing for them as I am an individual. I do not need to wear a mask. I do not need to wash my hands. I do not need to take a shower. Okay, that's like a another. Well, issue. I think I but, think yeah. like Korea, Korea and Japan are doing the same as well. Not only China, right? I mean, everyone sort of chosen slightly different paths, but of course, the common theme across the board is just very good tracking, which allows very, the dance to continue. Very good tracking. Okay, that that being said, though, like um uh in Japan, it's it's still kind of touch and go, you know. Um, yeah. So so yeah, um, it's also helped not helped. It's not aided by the fact that um. Japan is still a pretty cash full society. Um, everything is cash, so there's more chance of like you know cross contact and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, there is like it's very touch and go. Uh, Korea, I think, uh, yeah, they're also doing well. You're right. Um, and we've we mentioned like the the others um, before, yeah. like uh, Nam, uh, Vietnam. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, we we do have to have this like um, community mindset because you know yeah, in Tango yeah. we already have a community mindset. Uh, it is yeah. now up to the rest of the world to catch up to us. You know, having a community mindset. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I was just thinking the other day. Well, not even yet. I was just thinking yesterday. Like, oh, when when can I even plan for it to be like? I mean. What is it even gonna be like going back to Milonga? What's it, I I feel like it's a reset for myself, like in the sense that I've never had such a long break from dancing ever. So it's like going back into it will feel like I you know I I don't know what I'm doing and I, <laughs> how do you dance this dance and how do I navigate this floor and you know all that all that right? Because I think you can dance yourself, you can do technique, you can do technique with a couple, but you're not in a crowd. And that's the real atmosphere that's so different. Um, so I'm just like, I, I, I don't know how to do this anymore. <laughs> Which is also like good because then it allows me to sort of restart. Um, yeah, so I think it's needed more than ever. I think Tango is needed more than ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because of that, you know, we humans do need a hug. We do need that closeness. Uh -huh. and I do miss that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's going to be our next one, like the... Uh, the the power of the embrace or something uh, yeah that's gonna be the next one because there's too heavy political shit going on in this one <laughs> but anyway um i think uh yeah i think we've done our closing statements um in a very long and roundabout manner but uh audience do not believe that christina has lost a touch because uh um, <laughs> during our previous recording session um we are not um virtually doing it we were we were still doing it uh, in the studio, and uh, she was still able to follow quite well. So you know, she be lying <laughs> if she said she's not. You know, she forgot everything. I'm not where I need to be, <laughs> but I'm not where I like to be. To be fair. So. All right. Thank you very much, guys. I've been Iski, and I've been Christina. And stay safe. Stay safe, guys. We're the Tango Durians. Bye bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye bye, 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 bye,